Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. So welcome back to the Defiant Spirit Podcast and the Defy Your Number Enneagram System. I'm Baruch Halevi, also known as B, and I appreciate you tuning in as always. I want to share with you what I've been doing for the past, I don't know, week, 10 days or so while I've had COVID, which was fun, um, really kind of knocked me out, but not so much that I couldn't fill my time, at least the, the parts that I could sit up and you know, think clearly with some, I don't know, constructive work. Now, it's part of my challenge, I guess, as an Enneagram 8 to defy that need to produce, but I didn't do such a good job of defying that and instead put my free moments and time to work by watching movies. Not just any movies, but I was really looking for movies to bring to life each Enneagram type. So uh, a movie that gives life to the nine different types and I found I definitely didn't get all through all nine um, but I did find some real winners uh, most of them from you know my treasure chest over the years of using movies to teach never on the Enneagram and, and now I'm using it um, for the Enneagram so I'm sure everybody at this point knows but the Enneagram is a ancient energetic system we might call it a personality typing system nine basic energies or ways we move through the world nine personality types i have my feelings about that term and sort of limiting what this great system is to that but it's you know it's how we talk so we need to communicate so nine types um and each type has a different flavor feel movement you don't change your type i've really come to just believe that you know we are our wiring we are our type or at least that's how we're built. It doesn't mean that's how we have to live. It doesn't mean it's how we have to respond. And that's the work that I do, bringing the work of Viktor Frankl to defy your number. To Viktor Frankl would say, um, take responsibility, responsibility, the ability to stop reacting to your circumstances, or in this case, your number, and start responding. And so I want to share with you today Enneagram 7, The Enthusiast. And the movie, if you haven't seen it, you've had like 20 plus years to see it. So really can't say there are any spoiler alerts here. Um, And I had forgotten about it. But the movie Big Fish, if you haven't seen Big Fish, came out in 2003. So, you know, 20 years ago. And it has an all-star cast. I forgot how many, like, maybe they weren't that famous then. They're famous now, like almost everyone. Ewan McGregor, Albert Finney, Helen Bonham Carter, Billy Crudup. Um, Jessica Lange, Danny DeVito, um, Steve Buscemi, I think Miley Cyrus was in it. I mean, like it was pretty, pretty crazy how many people are in it. But it's to me a quintessential Enneagram 7 caricature. I, I oftentimes use these podcasts and talk about things as caricatures. The last one I did, if you didn't listen to it, the previous podcast, Valentine's Day, the gifts that each type likes to receive, a caricature. There's not nine types. There's 
27 types because they're subtypes and then there's wings and there's lines so you're talking about and then stack you have all nine types in you so you know you stack them in a particular order and if you do a test with me i'll get you your stacking so there's like thousands and thousands of combinations and nuances but we need stereotypes sorry i know it's not a popular thing to say it depends what we do with stereotypes do we use them to navigate the world to orient ourselves and then to make room for um, nuance and individuality so the stereotype of a seven the enthusiast oftentimes no not, most often almost always is true to varying degrees so if you know a seven or if you are a seven you'll you'll add to it you'll pronounce this a little more you'll discount that a little less but i refuse to stay away from these sort of generalizations or stereotypes because i think they're very helpful in learning a system and making it stick and really understanding the vibe so as we go through this it is a stereotype of the sevens um, and all those nuances need to be applied but nonetheless it's true and i guess that takes us into big fish well also one last thing why am i using um, movies so in my program defy your number which you can buy online go to defiantspirit.org go to the defy your number program and I have all nine types. You buy one of those types. And if you know your type, you just buy that one. And it is thorough, it's deep, it's engaging, but it's also light and fun. And I'll just share with you um, a page from my, this is the, the movie Big Fish, obviously, Enneagram 7, The Enthusiast. But I wanna share with you the movie page. This, I'm giving this to you for free. It's a bonus in the program. There's lots of this stuff in my program. So um, I have a name that seven for each type. I have a name that particular type. And I have famous TV sevens and famous big screen sevens. I don't think Big Fish is on here. So you know what? I, <laughs> I created this program. I didn't even think about it. I was trying to figure out what movies do I watch. And uh, I could just go to my own damn program. But you can too. So jump over there. If you're not ready to buy the program, um, then get the free ebook that'll give you nine types, sort of a snapshot of each type. Okay, um, so I'm happy to send you this slide too if you want this picture. Happy to give this away. Going back to Big Fish. So this is a movie. Why is this a seven movie? Um, first of all, it came to me because I was counseling somebody about their dad and this is a grown adult i was counseling whose father is you know evening of life well into beyond the afternoon of life probably transitioning from this world to the next soon and he and his dad have always had a struggle filled life because his dad was a seven never took the test with me but you know, working with him over the past few years, it's become pretty clear that his dad's a seven and he's not, he's a one. I th yeah, he's a one. Now, uh, Enneagram one and Enneagram seven are worlds apart. Um, if you're, I'm sorry. And if you're listening to this podcast, I'll, I always forget people, some people are listening, some people are watching. So you can, um, get that slide for me. Just email me and I'm happy to send it to you. So if you are looking at this, you'll see the seven and the one behind me are in some ways yin or yang when you see the line between numbers they're they're yin yang they need each other they need the energy of what the other has to offer but usually 
they're opposite sides of the spectrum. And so it's hard to traverse that line. And yet people show up in our lives to, I believe, help us um, develop these, you know, energies and in, in this case, the Enneagram. Why is it that we only think of soulmates as people who we get along with? Maybe the soulmates are the people who kick our ass or pain in the ass who um, we don't like. They're probably more likely than not the real soulmates to challenge us. People like to forget that part of the Bible when they quote it. You know, Adam's um, partner is an Ezer Kenegdo. It's called a helpmate, which I have no idea what that means. But Hebrew Ezer means to nurture and Kenegdo means, well, to kick you in the ass. So people, you know, are complicated. We're complicated and they show up in our lives to challenge us. Well, this man's father challenged him and he never understood him because as he described him, and this is how I got to Big Fish, I was thinking of the movie. I was thinking, what's this movie? I just remember watching it like 20 years ago and it was Big Fish and I found it and then I shared it with him and I think it was an aha for him. Um, and hopefully it'll be an aha for you, regardless of whether it's your dad or whether it's your spouse or whether it's your child or a friend, we all know sevens, they're prominent. Sometimes you just won't know a five, the investigator. Um, or for the individualist. I think they're a little more rare. But sevens, you can't be in the society we live in today without knowing sevens. They dominate in certain spaces and places, like especially the corporate sector. Um, you know, if you run into a salesperson, they're quite likely a seven, probably a three or seven. So you really know a seven. They're they're remarkable, right? You you just you remark upon them one way or the other. Now sevens are known for many things. The enthusiast is known for many things, not the least of which is, and this movie is built around tall tales. So they have, they tend to have a larger than life persona or personality. Oftentimes they're big in stature, not always. I know some slight sevens, but there's just a big quality. Even if they're slight in build, they still come off as a bigger energy. And they are, they're just big energy you know, that's a presence and you just know when you're in their presence. Now you can be an Enneagram nine, the peacemaker, and you could be a 300 pound linebacker. And if you're a nine, you might go unseen. And if you're a five foot two, you know, small little um, 80 year old seven, you're probably still going to have your presence felt. So it's an energetic thing and they, they take up space. They, they like to, and that's what a tall tale is. You know, a tall tale in this movie revolves around a son who just discounts his dad to the point where he hates his dad, at least for a period of the movie, because his dad tells tall tales. That's a lot of teeth. And his whole life is about tall tales. And the son probably is a six, a much, you know, the, um, the loyalist but more of a skeptic uh you know he's a he's an invest i think he's an investigative journalist uh, he's a writer but a reporter so there's much more a factual approach to life maybe he's a one one against the exact opposite of the seven much more precision and you know sort of not moving outside the lines coloring outside the lines um being very proper where sevens can be very improper sort of push the boundaries. Well, anyways, the son just struggles because his dad is beyond reach. And everybody loves his dad except, well, his son, although his son does love him, he just struggles with him. And the whole movie is about trying to pin down the seven. 
his dad, but he can't pin him down. Um, if you, you know, if you've ever read the book or saw the movie The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, there's lots of these types where they just live in fantasy. One of the characters in my program that I show, I think I talk about or I talk about him elsewhere, is Peter Pan. Peter Pan is a seven character. You know, it's hard to catch Peter. He's always on the move. He's flying around, flits and flies, and, you know, he's here and he's there. He's always sort of anticipating what's next, moving forward into the future, um, and as a character, doesn't want to grow up. Wants to live in Never Never Land with the Lost Boys. Seven's reactive, not doing the work, tend towards the Peter Pan syndrome, tend towards this sort of big fish um, fantasy. Lots of fantasy, lots of imagination. They are the most creative type. Sevens and fours, the individuals, but sevens, I'd say, the most creative type. I work, um, consult with a media company, and they're just filled with sevens. Lots of twos, nines, and sevens, some and fours. But sevens, like they just gravitate towards imagination and anything that can really engage their imagination. And they have a hard time with responsibility. It just doesn't come naturally. There's a subtype social that gravitates towards responsibility. But in lar at large, sevens really grapple with responsibility. And that just means commitment, right? Committing to one plan of action. When I've worked with sevens, like professionally, you know, like in some of the startups I've been involved with, there's almost always been a seven. And we've gotten into trouble when we follow the sevens Lights of fancy. Is that the word? Is that the term? Um, because it's sort of the shiny object and we need, you need like a six or a five to poke holes, to challenge, to ground down and to hold us accountable. Well, sevens have a hard time if they're not doing the work with accountability and responsibility. And you see this throughout the movie. In fact, it's interesting. The entire movie revolves around the father and his wedding, his, his ring, because it symbolizes commitment. And this is a man who really was committed. He was um, faithful on every level of what that means to his wife, his son, his family. But it didn't feel that way to the son because he, he couldn't catch Peter. He couldn't pin him down. And he, and he grew just exasperated by the big energy and the, well, you know, the big fish, tall tails. And it's just such an amazing story because every tale that the father told was true. And some of it actually happened. I love that saying. I was told to say that when I'm, uh, you know, speaking as a rabbi or clergy. Everything I say here is true. And some of it actually happened, right? Because truth transcends facts. Now we can get ourselves into some serious trouble with that line of reasoning. But it is true. Because none of us tell our stories as truth, if you what you mean by that is factual true. I don't care how close you get to recalling history, you're interpreting the facts as they occurred. That's how we survive. It's what we do. We are storytelling beings. That is how our brain is wired. Lots of research on this. That's why the greatest texts throughout history are story. You think of Odysseus. Um, you think of the Bible. You know, you think of these stories that have withstood the test of time, they're not just factual. And the factual parts, let's say, of the Bible are almost like gloss over because you can't even focus on those depths of Leviticus 
Everybody knows Exodus, right? Because it's a narrative of Moses and the Israelites, etc. Or Genesis, all those stories. Thousands and thousands of years, you can pass down stories. You really can't pass down facts. Not indefinitely. And certainly not factually, because we all play telephone, weaving a tale. Well, this is just um, Seven's sort of go-to. They are storytellers. They're great storytellers. But they also tell a story by the way they piece their facts together. And so you can see the seven piece of this man makes sense of the world through narrative, which drives like a five crazy. Fives are the opposite. Fives do like the facts. Ones do like the facts. Sevens get bored really quickly. If you're ever going to present to a seven, don't do a PowerPoint. Um, my, my partner in wealth, Wealth360, Michael Feiner, talks about how he used to take fives and seven, or he used to present his you know wealth management stuff to his fives and the sevens the same way. And now what does he do? He presents that factual PowerPoint to the fives, and he usually engages the sevens in experience, golfing or dinner or baseball game. And then they'll probably talk about the finances, but through a narrative. So sevens are narrative people. They need a story. They... Um, always are grounded in a truth, right? So it isn't, when we say fantasy, we tend to think of fantasy as fake, false. But again, everything I say is true and some of it actually happened. There's a great Kabbalistic teaching. It's just such, it's stuck with me for 25 years now. The saying goes like this, what is truer than the truth? the story we tell about the truth. And that's the point. The story we tell about our air quotes truth is the truth. And that's our truth. And so once this boy, Billy Crudup, who's a man at this point in the movie, understands this and then as his father's leaving this world, he starts to appreciate the truth behind the stories and with such a great maybe this is a little spoiler alert but too bad you've had 20 years or you can turn it off and come back to this is that as his dad is dying you see all the characters of all these different stories that he's woven together in real time and you know at the end of his life and there's elements of truth to each one i'm thinking of the uh, like they were siamese twin um, women in the movie they were like literally physically connected and you know it was like this farcical vision of these women that you know just wasn't true but then at the end at the funeral these two sisters are twins and they show up they're, they're not siamese joined at the hip like they were in the movie but they are they do exist and they existed in the story and you, you discount some of the narrative and get back to yeah there's elements of truth here so that's a part of it and not writing off the seven's fantasies, not writing off the seven, not writing off the stories as fake false news, to, to use a popular term, but complicated news. And our job is both to accept that seven energy, that seven narrative, but also to hold them accountable. You know, for sevens, they really need to, to, to grow up, to take responsibility and to you know, to, to not need that fantasy to keep them captivated, not need the excitement, and know that their story is worthy even if it's not embellished, right? To get back to, 
you know, a good, all people deal with this good enough thing. And, and sevens deal with it by making things bigger because mundane, ordinary is very hard for a seven. And that has to be good enough. Life is lived in the ordinary. You know, when I, when I used to do funerals and eulogies as a rabbi, it was the ordinary moments that people really wanted to talk about. Yeah, they caught the baseball at the World Series and yeah, you know, created a cure to cancer. But, you know, mom used to bake me cookies and I just remember coming home and seeing those, smelling those chocolate chip cookies and we'd play Scrabble. Like ordinary is not ordinary, it's extraordinary. And sevens need to get back to the ordinary is the extraordinary. Um, and that's good enough. And that you don't have to be sort of that special, tall tale, wow, charismatic. And you can stay put in the moment, in the present, deal with the mundane. And that needs to be exciting, not to jump to the next thing. So that's the work of a seven. It isn't to let them off the hook and say, just tell your tall tales. And it isn't to say that they shouldn't tell the narrative, you know, participate in sharing their narrative. Each one has work to do in this movie. Um, and everything they say is true, right? And so listening to the truth, not just in sevens, but the people around us, like what are, what are they really saying by telling us this story? Here's an example. My grandfather of blessed memory, um, Jack Brody, was not an Enneagram seven. I think he was a one, which probably makes this even more interesting because he told tall tales. And one tall tale that he told, I got to stop saying this stupid, these stupid teas, is, you know, he grew up at a time before um, driver's licenses were a thing. You had cars, but you didn't need to get a license. He grew up in Centerville, Iowa, and he just grew up driving a car, um, you know, sort of farm country, certainly back then. And he tells the tale, he told it like, 50 times the same story, which is partially what this man does in the movie. And I remember this movie helping me understand my grandfather when he was alive, because I was a typical grandchild who's like, yeah, 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 Gramps. Like I heard this story 50 times. That's not the point. He needs to tell the story and I need to hear the story. And it's never the same story. My father, my grandfather would tell the story of driving his parents from Centerville, Iowa, where they lived to St. Louis, where his, the rest of his family was. I don't know, what is that, like a, it was like a four hour, three hour drive or something. He would tell it, and you know, the first time he told it, he was probably like 16, like a normal kind of a driving age. And then the next time he told it, he was like, I was, you know, I was 13 years old when I, and then like the 50th time, it was, I was five years old, and I couldn't even reach the pedals, and I have to put down, I don't know, phone books to sit up and a stick to push the gas, and you know, like it just got bigger and more big fished. Um, and I, again, was like Billy Crudup in the movie. I was almost not just dismissive. I like ejected the story as false. You weren't five, Grandpa. Like you were not able to drive a car. And then as I grew up, I don't even think he was alive when I started to really unpack these stories that he told me. And this was just one of many. It, it started to occur to me that there was truth in what he was saying, A, and B, there was a moral, there was a nugget, a wisdom in there. And he was framing it in a tall tale. And as I really, like, just as an example, as I started to unpack this, I realized he was telling me about responsibility. And as a one, you know, he really was always extremely responsible. And I think what he was saying was, 
I don't know, I was probably being an idiot teenager, like take responsibility. And I and my generation, speaking from a grandfather's perspective, the greatest generation, you know, they took responsibility. I mean, they had their own struggles. I will not wax poetic and make the greatest generation into the perfect generation because there's a shadow side to what I'm about to tell you. But they took responsibility in a way that my generation didn't have to, partially because he did it. He went, he was um, drafted into World War II. He put his life on the line. He, you know, I mean, saw hell, the horrors of, of um, World War II, and he saw action, and, and then he came back, and he settled down, and he had a family by the time, it probably maybe I was in college, I think, guess when he told me, when I was just, you know, getting drunk and having a good time. So it doesn't say I, what I was doing was wrong, or but he was trying to teach me something. And, and I, again, I think sevens do this through the way they move energetically through the world. They're, they're trying to convey something that they know and they do know they're they're visionaries they 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 are really remarkable inspiring people and we need to pay attention to what they have to say we need to see through the um, some of the facts that get in the way and see the narratives the the story the truth and to appreciate that and we also need to hold them accountable or if you're seven to hold yourself accountable and not become Peter Pan, not live in La La Land, never, never land or whatever it's called. And um, really take responsibility for your life. Lastly, I guess I'm weaving two different movies together. Peter Pan has a transformative moment. And do you remember when that moment is? I'm waiting for your response. Um, YouTube it. It's Peter Pan goes to Wendy's bedroom. And, you know, Wendy's the grown up, even if she's... I think his same age, you know, biologically supposed to be in the in the story, but she's a mature figure. I think she's a two for all of you twos to help her. And she helps Peter because he's wrestling with his shadow while he's in her bedroom and she wakes wakes him up, her up. And she says, what are you doing? And he catches his shadow and he's like, my shadow got away from me and he's trying to stick it back on. And she's like something like silly, you can't stick it on and from what i remember she sews it on to his his body is the shadow well the shadow is the work of a seven to take on the darker stuff the more difficult stuff to take responsibility to be in the present moment and and deal with suffering you know sevens run from suffering that's oftentimes what drives them they're in some ways peter pan trying not to face life's difficult realities and stay ahead of it and escape outrun the shadow but you can't outrun the shadow the shadow is always there and when we can sew our shadow on own it we can truly experience all that life has to offer the light and the dark the good and the bad and not have to live our lives trying to live in never never land and not growing up so this is a great great movie um it's a long movie you think this is a long podcast it's a long movie but well worth your time if you are a seven if you have sevens in your life if you want to understand you know if i described your grandma your grandpa your parents somebody in your life who you've really struggled with sounds like a seven this movie will 
um, or even if they don't sound like a seven, this movie will really help you appreciate them in a much deeper way. So that is my Enneagram 7 movie of the week or month. I don't know how often I'll get back to seven. I'm going to be doing more movies, um, interspersing them with the rest of the podcast that I'm doing. I welcome your suggestion on movies. Please shoot me an email, be at defiantspirit.org. Would love to hear from you or put it into the YouTube notes or wherever you're watching this or listening. And we will explore movies together. It's a great way to learn the Enneagram. Jump over to defiantspirit.org. Check out the Nine Types Walk Into the Bar, my free ebook. Check out the Defy Your Number program. And until the next time, you know what to do. Defy your number and live your spirit. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. The Defiant Spirit is an offering of Soul Center to Center for Spirituality, Meaning, and Healing. And if you'd like to learn more about the Defiant Spirit or Soul Center, get more inspirational content, access to a variety of online programs, or see how we might work together to discover deeper meaning in your life, greater purpose for your life, or live the Defiant Spirit power within your life, visit defiantspirit.org. Until then, keep living your defiant spirit.